Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. Yeah, welcome back. This is Carl Franklin, Richard Morris. We got some friends. Daisy Brackenhall. Hey! Kim Howerton. Hello! Brenda Zorn. Hey, what's up? Nick Mailer. Hello. And we're all here, and we're hanging out. It's our holiday hangout. We did this last year with a few of our friends, Richard. Yeah. And it was so much fun. And Amber showed up in the middle of it. That was fun. That was fun. You guys hanging out? Can I come? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Join in. I'm going to have some beer because it's it's like five in the morning here. Perfect. That's a good time for beer. Beer o'clock. There's beer o'clock somewhere in the world. That's just cruel. Is that a big head? That's Ah, me. That's a big head I'm I'm fast at 82 hours. You're just cruel, (laughs) man. That's it. Oh, the amber nectar of big head beer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fasting 48 hours by now. Excellent. I'm considering going all the way through Christmas. Wow. It's just so much fun. Rebel you. Ooh, yeah. That's badass. So how many days would that be, fasting? Uh, Six. If I end up at the holiday party at my brother's house... On the 27th, it'll be six days. (laughs) On the 12th day of fasting. (laughs) (laughs) Carl went to Jay's. 12 glasses of water. Eleven <laughs> teaspoons of salt. Exactly. <laughs> Ten more glasses of water. And some magnesium just in case. <laughs> bro. Forty trips to the bathroom. <laughs> I have to pee all the time when I'm fasting. <laughs> well, I'm not fasting. I've just got a, a ham and uh, it's really cool the fact that Julie has a restaurant because the chef at the end of the year they, they go away for like three weeks and so they get rid of all of the food so we've got like a whole Ooh. ham from them we've got a side of salmon we've got a goose oh that's a shame a goose oh yum that's so good yeah fatty and um, very oh, yeah we've never eaten goose before so it's gonna be uh, that's gonna be fun can render some schmaltz oh yeah. yeah some schmaltz can you tell me what bubbles and squeak is bubble and oh. squeak it's a leftover it's a leftover from roast dinners and you mush up usually cabbage and roast potatoes and you just mush it all up together and then you fry it yeah anything all the greens and and there's like drippings and stuff in it too like burn ends fry or- it and drippings yeah it's a leftover meal that you tend to have on the monday night so you'll have like cold meat and bubble and squeak so it's like hash yeah, it's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's, yeah, hash. Bubble and squeak. I, uh, my family had a holiday party, and I made lemon curd pavlova. I saw oh, that, Kim. Um, that looked good. Which, and I explained to them that in Australia, this time of year, it is cold. Therefore, this is why we have yeah. this, this. I was doing an Australian lesson oh, for so them. So it's hot. It's the middle of summer. It's, it's hot. That's what I meant right to say. Now. Sorry. Yeah. It's, it's hot yeah. this time of year, so you want a cold dessert. It's one or the other. One or the other. <laughs> um, and, and everyone took to calling it a pavlovian. So now Can I have some Pavlovian? So like it's made with dog saliva? Yeah, so now it's called the Pavlovian in my family Somewhere a psychiatrist is ringing a bell (laughs) I mean, every time my family gets together Somewhere a psychiatrist is ringing a bell I'm going to have to say (laughs) That's awesome That's a cash register (laughs) Was it it crispy on the outside? It was was crispy on the outside It was a sugar-free Pavlova, I should say Yeah, which, Um, which sweetener did you use? I used powdered swerve. Uh Uh-huh. That's like your go-to. You like that. It's uh, erythritol and oligosaccharides mixed. So that browns it. Yeah. And I buy it pre-powdered or it's, you know, confectioners. But you can also throw it in like a, throw a granular sweetener in a, uh, I use a little coffee grinder to make it powdered. 
I tell you, after we talked to Karen Ogilvie on Two Keto Dudes, I bought some allulose. Oh, right. yeah. And I tell you, it's not as sweet as sugar, yeah. but man, everything about it is sugar, sugar, sugar. I know, like, but you know, in the FDA application, it showed signs of um, liver swelling in the people Ooh. that tried it, which makes me nervous. Say what? Oh, yeah. Hey. Oh. You have to be careful, though, because I've seen some of those signs for other things. And what often it is is that they just, whatever they're pumping you full of, even if it's just a huge amount of water, and then the liver grows slightly. Oh, as that might be true. The kidneys. I think the same thing. They say, oh, the rat's liver grew. And you say, well, yeah, you basically pumped them full of some substrate that, that did that. But uh, I know if you really want to be safe, erythritol is really safe because it basically gets absorbed and you urinate it out immediately and nothing happens to it. I don't know about allulose yet though it's 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 still being tested and i think it's in some quest bars now isn't it it's in the quest bars yeah. which give me yeah um, horrible gas didn't you you didn't get on very well with it did you didn't you try it kim and you found it a bit- the allulose didn't give me any bloating or gas and i have digestive problems with uh, all the other ones I think the yeah. Quest Bar problems are they're, they're full of... Um, fiber. Fiber. Uh, that's going to be yeah. giving you the gas more than the, uh, than, than the yeah. sweetener, I, I got the allulose honey, and I tried it. And um, I believe my description was, for a second it tasted like poison. For another <laughs> second it tasted good. <laughs> then it tasted like poison again. But that might have been yeah. like the honey flavor they added to it. But I was not a big fan. But I... I was excited about it, and then I got very, like, nervous Jewish mother about it. I made an ice cream with it, and it was the best ice cream I've ever made. And oh, it stayed, did, yeah. it, did it give that softness that... It was soft. Huh. Yeah, and, but here's the thing, how I made it. I wanted to modify the recipe, because, you know, you have some give with recipes, right? right. Yeah. Mm. But I wanted to modify it so that it was easy to remember. Okay. So I used a dozen egg yolks and a quart of heavy cream <laughs> and then vanilla to taste and sweetener to taste. And it turns out that that made a perfectly soft, wonderful, premium nice. Ben & Jerry style ice cream. Did you make a custard or did you? Yeah, I made a custard. So I heated it up yeah. just until the bacteria dies. What is it? 165 degrees or something like that Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. And then I let it cool and I cooled it overnight in the fridge and then... You know, the Alton Brown method, and then uh, put it in an ice cream freezer for a half an hour. And man, it was as it, I, it came out soft, and then I put it in a plastic and put it in the freezer overnight. And man, it was so good. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I, I actually, I've got some advice for custards. Um, I was, because I love making custards. My daughter loves having them frozen in the little silicon molds, the oh, yeah. little custard treats. And so what I, if you've ever wondered what on earth the lowest setting on your microwave oven could ever be used for, <laughs> you know, the one, was basically breathing on your food. Um, yeah. I take fewer egg yolks than you because it's fit in a Pyrex jar. I take five egg yolks, about uh, 600 ml, which is probably just over a pint of cream mix it all together, vanilla, mix very well. Then you put it in the Pyrex jug in the microwave, put a lid on top of the Pyrex jug, and you put the microwave on for 20 minutes on the lowest heat. Like defrost? Yeah, mine's called warm. It's below defrost. It's like (laughs) unbelievably the lowest setting. It's sort of if you just put it under your sweater. Exactly. Well, that makes sense because really you don't want to cook the eggs, but you want to kill the bacteria. So that's very smart. And then what you can do is you can also really control how thick you want. Because if after that 20 minutes it's still too runny for you, 
you just maybe do another 10 minutes, you then mix it and test it again. The nice thing about that is you don't have those, it never ever curdles like it sometimes yeah. does at the bottom yep. of a pan. You don't have to use a right. bain-marie or anything like that. So if you've ever wondered what the heck should I be using the very lowest setting on my microwave for, there you go. it makes That's a good great. custard. That's yeah. very smart. It works very well. Very smart. And then you don't have any cleaning up because it's in the Pyrex jug. Mm. Yeah. Oh, custard is beautiful. If you can, if you can cope with dairy, there is there are very few things nicer than a good vanilla custard as a base for all sorts of treats. If you don't do dairy, there's a brand of coconut cream called Aroy D, A R O Y dash D, and yeah. it is just like heavy cream. It I, I order it in like uh, paper containers, and it makes amazing ice cream. Wow. And and I use it to make panna cotta. Uh, you know what? You know what that means. What? Because it's Thai. Aoi, aoi is good. It means good. Good D. Yeah. Wow. Mm. <laughs> aoi D. Yeah. All right. Maybe D is for coconut or something, yeah. or whatever the Thai word is for coconut. Okay. Kevin and I just bought an ice cream maker, so we've been having some fun with it. You guys are going crazy with the food posts on Facebook. I love it. Well, you know, I gotta, um, I gotta kind of. Uh, spoil him right now. He's new. Yeah. He's new to keto. Yeah. So, but yeah. yeah, we're making eggnog this weekend, and we're going to use some of it to make ice cream because oh, nice. you pretty much can just throw it in the ice cream maker. So, so last year Amber had an eggnog recipe, didn't she? At our uh, yeah, keto yeah. hangout, which is which is just like a, a raw eggs and and whiskey or something. Yes. <laughs> well, that's Amber. Amber, exactly. Amber. Amber. <laughs> she just throw some egg yolks in the blender and pour in an entire container of whiskey. Yeah, you're good. If you pour some of my custard while it's still quite liquid into some whiskey, yeah. um, you get perfectly good uh, eggnog. Yep. Uh, so you know, and works really nicely. <laughs> Or you could just drink the whiskey. Yeah. yeah, you could just skip all that, right? <laughs> but isn't it? Isn't it? I'm just thinking it's really nice that this way of eating is one of the few way of eating where you can have all the best desserts with oh, yeah. very little modification. Like obviously the best dessert, cheesecake. If you can have dairy, then basically you can have a pretty much perfect cheesecake. Yeah, you can. And you know, what sort of? If you just tell them this is this is the diet where you can have cheesecake and not feel guilty, that should surely be enough to sell it to anybody. I was having this conversation with a client yesterday who was very upset she couldn't get crispy cookies, and I was saying, you know, crispy cookies are one of the hardest things to do on keto, but sure. I think the way to enjoy life in general is to think like, okay, what can I do? Like I could yeah. spend the entirety of my life upset that I am not a marathon runner because that is never yeah. happening. Yeah. The genetics are not here. <laughs> not happening um, here. But, but I can do like 50,000 other things and I should probably, right. fo I was like puddings, custards, you know, like this enormous list of delicious things. I was like, focus Lobster on those. Lobster and tarragon butter. I have a crispy mm. keto cookie that I made for uh, Kevin, so I'll have to post that. So be it's peanut butter, yeah. Nice. Okay, well, we'll share. Yeah, I definitely am going to share that. Well, I was wondering, what, what's the kind of the one-sentence secret to getting crispiness in this way of eating? Pork mm. skins. <laughs> cheese. You can make <laughs> cheese crackers. Cheese, yeah, melted cheese crackers. Mm. Those get oh, very those crispy. Well, and right. I also have yeah. a recipe for crispy crackers that involve baking gelatin, and that'll get crispy. Oh, that's very clever. Interesting. Wow. I just mix gelatin with hemp hearts, and you bake it, and it makes incredibly crispy crackers. Have you guys used um, konjac root powder as a starch or maybe as a breading? Yeah. Yes. 
I'm thinking of making up some onion rings. Oh. And, oh. and I haven't done this yet, so I don't know if any of you have ever done it, but I want to take some konjac root powder, put some salt and some flavorings in that, and, you know, an egg wash, and then actually use that in total as the, the breading and fry it. And I don't know if it's going to come out all right or not, but... Mm. I'm have planning on trying it after my Have you tried making yeah. uh, onion rings with crushed pork rinds and dipping it in an egg wash first? And I have, and I've done a lot of frying of a lot of things that way. You want way. to try something different? <laughs> I do everything with yeah. pork rinds. I was going to say, I'm astounded that Brenda mentioned pork rinds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Exactly, right? <laughs> it's not a show if pork rinds don't come up. That's right. I'll tell you what, your pork rind pancakes are amazing. Isn't that weird that they and taste the so good, but they're made so weird? Yeah, right? The waffle, waffle mm. iron. That was your idea, Richard. We're at Breckenridge right back in February, and all of them had asked <laughs> me to make the pancakes when I was there because they all wanted to try it. And then yeah. uh, Richard, while I was mixing the batter, Richard's in the background digging through the cupboards because this house is, you know, <laughs> Stocked. And he, it's stocked. It, it was. was stocked. And he finds yeah. a waffle iron. He's like, "What do you think?" And I'm like, "Well, what the hell? Might as well try it." And mm. darn it, they didn't work. That's they were amazing. Yeah. I recently came up with a pork rind pumpkin muffin recipe, and it's amazing. Good. That's, it's yeah. strange as hell, but it's amazing. It's, there, yeah, it's strange that you know. Try not to think about what you're eating when you mix the crushed pork rinds. That pork rind flour, right? Yeah. Ew, right? <laughs> but just try it. You'll be blown away. I mean, yeah, you gotta what, try we it. used to use lard for everything. How different is it? Yeah, right. I love lard. So good. We've kind of been able to replicate almost every food because we've got the fats and we've got the, um, the replicants for starches and so on. I totally but agree. Flake? Yeah. Fla- well, ah, but there's one thing. Flaky pastry. Yes. Can oh. you make something that's mm. flaky like that? <laughs> baklava kind of thing. Yeah, baklava. You seriously need to try the fried bread if you're missing uh, flaky pastry. It, it'll, it'll, mm. it'll Does it take, actually get it, flaky? It doesn't get flaky, but you're not going to want any flaky pastry after you eat that. I'll tell you. It was, <laughs> it's like eating donuts. It was so good. <laughs> Nick, you were asking how you get these cookies crispy, uh, the peanut butter cookies. Yeah. Um, there is no flours added. There's no almond flour. There's no coconut flour. If you hear the ingredients, you're not even going to think that it would work and that it would make a cookie. But they really, they just have um, peanut butter. Uh, I use Truvia, an egg, salt, vanilla extract, and baking powder. That's it. No flours. And um, they're soft when they come out of the oven, and then they get crispy. Did you use yeah. the Truvia in the, the one that doesn't add sugar? Yes. I used, um, uh, it was a generic Truvia, but it just only had urethritol and stevia, although I'm moving away from using stevia now, but that's another that's another mm. topic. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah, they get crispy. Nice. Kevin loves them, so. <laughs> My maternal grandfather's from Yorkshire, and, and Julie's from Yorkshire as well. And uh, one of the food items that I thought we'd never be able to eat with keto is Yorkshire pudding. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh. And on Daisy's podcast, uh, T- uh, Taffany Elrod uh, did a Yorkshire pudding the other day, and Yay. she uses um, uh, she uses whey powder. Really? So finally, a use for protein whey powder. Oh, good because I'm not I'm staying away from whey. Good. I don't do whey. Yeah, I don't do whey either. Yikes. No way. No way. I'm doing whey. Richard or, or Nick, can you just briefly tell us what Yorkshire pudding is? It's not unlike a puddingy popover. It, a popover is probably the closest thing. It's really a pancake mixture. You basically put hot dripping from cooking beef into muffin tins and you pour a pancake mixture in. And the mixture is just egg, milk and and flour, so regular pancake mixture. But Taffany uses a cup of heavy cream, three large eggs, two tablespoons of melted fat or butter, 
Um, so you could use tallow, you could use lard or whatever. Uh, half a cup of unflavoured whey protein powder, a teaspoon of salt, half a teaspoon of xanthan gum. She says additional half a cup of hot fat, preferably beef drippings. She just mixes wet ingredients and stirs the dry ingredients in, uh, in or blends them in a, bl- in a blender. And then you heat the beef fat in a pan or muffin tins in a preheated oven. And then you add the batter and you bake it to 425 Fahrenheit. Uh, or 220 mm. Celsius until they're puffed and brown. They basically puff up like sort of like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that well, like a panda? A, that's a word I've never heard before. <laughs> really? <laughs> I think that's a little denser. This ha- that's Scandinavian, <laughs> right? Surely a panda kuchen. <laughs> they're quite light. So have you tried them, Richard? Did you have you tried the recipe? No, I, that's what we're going to do this Christmas because uh, we use Marco Pierre White's uh, uh, recipe for, for Yorkshire puddings until we went keto. I mean, you, you're not going to have uh, flour in, in a ketogenic context. So. Well, if you think about it, cloud bread or oopsie bread has kind of got that consistency to it. Mm. If you make the oopsie bread recipe and then just put a, some drippings in, maybe hot drippings over it when it comes out, when they mm. come out. So I you- make something called, that I call on-purpose bread. Um, which is a little different. Oh, instead of oopsie, uh, that's great. Uh, 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 <laughs> you take the oopsie recipe and you fold in uh, like some hemp hearts and almond flour, but just a couple tablespoons, just to give it mm. a little substance. And mm. then I mix um, bacon fat into that, and it makes rolls. Like, do you guys have any wow. idea how hard it is talking about food when I am <laughs> eighty-four and a half hours fasted? It's funny, before the call, we were all talking about intellectual topics, but as soon as we start recording, we're like, food! Ah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm two days fasted, Brenda, and I'm not having any problem with uh, the food talk. I started getting hungry in the middle of the night last night. So, Carl is better than you. No, no, I just... Morally, that's a morally, you know, you have no self-control. Actually, two more days, I might be having the same issues. So I've only been two days. She's been four. Yeah, and I have a bad cold, too. This is the first time I fasted with a cold. But you know what? It didn't get any worse. I think the fasting really helped with my head cold. I don't hardly ever get sick. This is the first time in like a year and a half or something. But yeah, last in the middle of the night last night, I I started feeling uncomfortable. Um, Sorry. So... How no no don't be sorry my God I get to eat in three and a half hours I can do this there you go, oh, <laughs> there you go. we're just building the appetite that's right no kidding good thing there's no food down here in the office holy shit <laughs> yeah, I can make you so, some Pavlovian yeah <laughs> so I can I can shift the topic away from food and I think this will be a good thing for us to do on our hangout and that is I want each of you to go around in turn and just sort of recap for us all the cool things that you've done this year and all the good things that have happened. And I want to start with Nick because, uh, you know, everybody else we sort of have heard from, at least on our show, and we haven't heard from you, Nick, in a while. So what the heck have you been doing besides debunking bad science? (laughs) I'm afraid in the very dull way I've been uh, doing the day job. But actually, I have done something else. I gave a talk at the Ancestral Health Symposium um, about how dads can screw up breastfeeding, basically. Yeah. Um, I saw that. And you should... You should you should watch it. It's basically I'm mansplaining to men how um, you, you know you're, you're not being introduced to a petting zoo, and if you want to feed someone, feed your wife, and that kind of thing. You're awesome. I I breastfed both my babies. You're awesome. But last time I checked, men don't lactate, so I'm not sure how. I know, I, but they can be a big support. Here's here's the problem, Carl. <laughs> I, 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 the, the whole the whole. Um, 
<laughs> the whole talk basically goes about how, you know, there's those kind of traditional masculinity and how traditional societies rear children and help women feed their children and what the role of the fathers were and that kind of thing. And looked at some tribal societies. Yeah. Then we looked at what the formula companies did and things like that. Oh, that's awful. Yep. Basically, what's happened subsequently is that we've been screwed and we've been telling women that they're basically pretty useless. They probably can't cope and they need some men to help them by pumping their babies full of industrial foods by lovely companies like Nestle and so on. It's definitely a topic that needs to be covered. Yep, it's awful. And so, so if you want to look at my talk at, at AHS, um, that's what I was talking about. And particularly there are um, really weird statistics about different countries that are more and less supportive of women and how they aren't able to breastfeed in those countries where they are not supportive of those women. Uh, and, 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 it's, and there's some really stark, horrible statistics there. Yes. And, uh, and, and so what happened was the traditional masculinity then gave way to the, the new dad, the dad who wants to be very involved, the dad who is indeed at the birth, which is unprecedented yeah, right. in our species history. And then suddenly there's new dad, you know, Athena poster dad, who's suddenly in touch with uh, his touchy-feely side. Problem is, new dad gets a bit greedy and gets a bit needy. And new dad says, hold on, I want to help with the feeding. I don't think it's fair that mum has this very special bond with uh, her, her child. I want to muscle in. Let me help you with the night feeds, dear. Let me prepare the bottle. Why don't you have a sleep? I'll feed the baby. And there was this amazing photograph of our then Prime Minister David Cameron kind of bottle feeding his kid and then bottle feeding a literal kid or a lamb as it was at a petting zoo. And right. this kind of your child as a status symbol petting zoo thing, which is very much promoted by the formula companies. If you look of at course. all the advertising <sighs> that they do and so yeah. on. And what's really amazing is when you start looking at the way the formula companies have acted over time and how they've distorted science and how they've lied about nutritional statistics and how they've made people feel enfeebled. I mm. thought, hmm, where have I heard this story before? Yep, that's yeah. so great that you're doing that, Nick. In the well, early 80s, when I had my first child, I was not supported to breastfeed. No. And I live in Minnesota. Yeah, so I did it anyway. You know, I went to the library, got a stack of books, read about everything and did it on my own. I was pretty much on my own. By the time my second awesome. child came, I had support. You know how, um, again, in this community, you know, when you, when, for example, Richard or Carl, you suggest to diabetics maybe they shouldn't necessarily be eating carbohydrates to the degree that they're told to by standard registered dietitians, and you're told that you're dangerous and you're a cult Absolutely. and you're this and that and the other. <laughs> I would like to have somebody tell me I'm a cult. I don't think I've been raised to that status yet. Carlians. Well, guess what? My wife is a breastfeeding counselor and she runs nice. um, a, a, a prenatal classes in the UK and so on. And mm. then when she talks to some people, they say, oh, you're part of the Breastapo. You're a breast Nazi. Oh, gee. Oh. And to which, to which she says, do you think that I'm rolling in big boobs money bank here you know you think this is where all the money is I, you think you who's paying me to do this there is a problem in that there is a small percentage of the population that for whatever reason can't breastfeed correct and there's no good option for them the only thing is breast milk food banks there's yep. like you can buy That's someone alternative breast milk and you know what happened to those kim don't you in the 80s during the AIDS scare the formula companies started becoming very very active in getting those stopped right. which they did right they're like underground now. You have to like yeah. join the black market breast milk. Which is crazy. Well, I think we can all agree that of the two sexes, women are the magicians. 
Yeah, I mean, you do this magic trick where you can reproduce, and men, we have very little to do with it, right? And so yes. I think that there's a, there's a, I'm serious. We have very little to do. We have, we get everything started, and then okay. As a time investment, your yours is much shorter. Oh, look at you. Yeah, and for some people, as a life investment, yeah. uh, you know, with all the lack of fathers in the world uh, that sort of bail. Mm. And, you know, it's sad because uh, women are clearly where it's at, clearly the superior species among us just for the act of heroism and physical feat of nature. It's just amazing to us. And, and, and I think any man who supported his wife through labor and then the subsequent birth is feels very inadequate and in a very peculiar sort of awe afterwards, I can tell you that. And I think that's probably why men have so many weird rituals. That's uh, why I write software. Yeah. <laughs> I can do create it. an intelligence. Yeah. Uh, that's what I think, but that is, uh, and, uh, and, and lots of feminists, whether it's uh, the right, the more on the right, like Camille Puglia or others say it is, you know, every, all these things that men do are kind of trying to get to a state right. of what women can just do anyway. Yeah. And there's this kind of real envy and come on, well, I'll create a pearl script. If you that's right. <laughs> I tell you what yeah. I got out of your talk, which I'd never uh, thought of before, was the concept of pink shaming. The fact that we oh, we yes. shame young girls for liking girly things as, as such. Exactly. Mm. Tell them that they should be equal to boys and they should have, you know, a, a G.I. Joe or whatever. And, you know, it's really it's subverting uh, their own femininity. Oh, I got a story about that. I'm sorry. I'll just I'll just be very quick here. My first wife, whom I had my children with, she did her dissertation at, in college on gender stereotypes in media, okay? So she was basically saying the reason that all these little boys play with guns and the reason these little girls play with dolls is because the images that they're bombarded with, the, the subtle suggestions that they're given by their parents and all that stuff. So when we had our first baby, uh, who's been on the show, actually, Emmy, mm -hmm. <laughs> we specifically didn't want to know the sex, and we decorated her nursery in green, okay? Mm. Just non you know, whatever. Just rabbits, rainbow rabbits with green, okay? And so we didn't we didn't do any of that stuff, you know? We didn't expose her to the to the girly stuff at all. And before we know it, she's walking around the house filling up two liter soda bottles with warm water and putting them to sleep with blankies over them. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, Kyle, that, that the point is, what, whatever the reason for that is, whether there is something that's biologically nurturing or whatever, the, what's interesting is we still kind of, we think that that is lesser. We minimize right. that. We say, oh dear, that's, that's, that's kind of, you, you shouldn't be worrying about your little, your little pink frilly things and, your, and being a princess. What you should be thinking about is being a businesswoman or being a space woman or whatever. Right. Still that masculine is better. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's the point. In women. In anybody. And I know nobody will see this except the people on the call, but I, I was sitting down and I noticed that I, my, my daughter's pink dinosaur over here, ah, uh, nice. which I was sitting on, is kind of summarizes things. You know, you shouldn't have to choose if you're a, a little girl between those two magisteria, right. the, the pink and frilly and all the other exciting things that you can be. But we kind of say, I read in a... Uh, a forum when I was researching for the talk and there were these mothers saying, oh, thank heavens, she stopped playing with dolls and she's playing with water pistols. Right. I said, so nurturing, really? so, so, so modeling nurturing a child is considered lesser than modeling mm. killing somebody. 
okay. <laughs> and you suddenly realize what we're actually talking about when we talk about these these things and you realize actually you're still constantly putting down any notion of what look whatever the reason that we have a notion what there is to be feminine we, we we're taking that as a as undesirable second class thing and if it's bad for girls you can imagine how bad it is for boys who mm. who also then wants to play in dolls corner or whatever that's even worse at least a girl can be a kind of tomboy boys yeah. on the other hand that want to play with these things they have a real hell of a time so yeah it's a it's a very sticky mire we find ourselves in when we start talking about these things. Yep. Even worse than nutrition. <laughs> well, there, there's so much more to talk about there, but I want to get to everybody else. So, Daisy, tell us about your year. It's been pretty good for you, huh? Hey, my year. Yeah, I've had it's been a sad year in some ways. I've lost um, two dogs this year that have been with me oh. for 14 years. So, that was lie. really hard. Um, but good things, yeah, lots of good things. Um, the... KKB, my Facebook group, with this just built this amazing group of women who kick ass keto bitches. Kick ass keto <laughs> bitches, that's it. And kick arse. Kiss arse. Kick arse. Kick arse. Kick arse. Keto, yeah. Kick, not kiss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did I say? <laughs> kiss arse. <laughs> kick ass keto bitches, not kiss arse. They don't kiss arse. Hardly. That's it. I'm going to make a Facebook group. Kick ass keto oh, bitches yeah. right now. Like that, but different. <laughs> But they're fabulous. So it's quite a they're, great group. They're, yeah, they're just they're just amazing. I get so much from them. It's just an, an amazing group of women. And you find some of them to interview on your podcast, right? Yes, I was going to say. And the, the huge thing this year was when these two keto dudes—those idiots—asked <laughs> me to host a podcast, Keto Women Podcast, which has just been an amazing experience. It was scary as shit. <laughs> really, really scary. But I just love it it's a great excuse just to talk to amazing women extraordinary women every week and yeah. get to ask them all the questions i'd like to ask right yeah they have been extraordinary and uh it's been fun i mean it, it it's great for us because you know we're getting these things started and then hopefully they have a life of their own yeah after a while and daisy yep. does a lot of work to get this up she builds the scripts and she puts together the interviews and she it does all of the work without needing our attention and uh, Carl and I are working on some other big podcasts, which do take a lot of our attention. So I just want to mm -hmm. say I really appreciate Daisy's uh, effort to be able to step up to the mark and, and, and get this stuff out. Absolutely. It's definitely a lot of work, no doubt. It is, yeah. And we've got some uh, help from an engineer, Brandon Wen, who is uh, one of our uh, Pop Studios engineers who's working on Daisy's show. And he sort of took it over, so... He's fabulous. He's yeah. He's really he's really great to work with. Um, he's yeah. I really appreciate yeah. the work he does. It's great. We're getting it down to a science now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got a real real good formula going now, so it's brilliant. So that has just been fantastic. That's been the biggest thing this year. But recently, I've also started running. Ooh. I say running. I sort of do air quotes with that because it's more of a fast shuffle, really. But cool. <laughs> yeah, doing the couch to five k program. Um, and nice. I, which I've wow. been meaning to do for about three years. I bought these cheap trainers about three years ago. So that's how long I've been procrastinating about these it. These are running shoes for everybody, <laughs> not in England. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. But I actually started, um, accidentally actually, a friend of mine online had started doing it in the UK with an actual physical running partner who dropped out and she was really disappointed. So I said, as I often do, just on the spur of the moment, oh, I'll, I'll be your virtual running partner. 
mm. and then sort of thought the next day, oh, no, I'm going to actually have to do it now. Oh. Yes, you and are. I've always, I've, always, I've always loved the idea of running. I thought, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic thing to do. And uh, But the actual thought of doing it in reality, no. But I have to say, I come very close to enjoying it. I'm four weeks in, wow. and I can <laughs> well I can now run for the longest run is five minutes, but I can do it for five whole minutes. So, Good job! Uh, wow. Yeah, wow. I don't think I could. It's great, Daisy. I, I've got a recommendation. Are, are you in the UK generally? Uh, no, I'm I'm here at the moment, but no, normally I'm in France. Okay, I don't think France. Uh, I don't know if the movement hasn't been as big across the world. There's a movement called Park Run. Ah. Oh, yes, my brother does it. Yeah, it's not in France, but it's it's something I'd like to do when I'm back in the UK. Yeah. So it's it's completely volunteer run, and there are a group of people. There are hundreds of them across the UK, and at 9 a.m. every morning, you go to your local park run, and there's a start line, a finish line. The volunteers have put it all up. You've got a barcode. Wow. Uh, that can then they get scanned at the end. Oh. You then start, and there's you, up to 100 or 200 people at a time, and they always say it's not a race, it's a run. Uh, and you can pace it at your own time. There are back runners as well who will keep up with you if you're the slowest. Uh, yeah, they have paces, don't they, throughout? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. And it's in a park, and you you know you go around twice or whatever. It's 5K, isn't it? It's a 5K run, is that right? Whoa. Yeah, it's it's 5K, and you get scanned at the end, and then you get your time on a nice web page. It records your personal best and so on. Wow. Hmm. And my wife, who'd never done any running, did this because my, my brother helped to run it at his local park. And you know, it really gets you into it. There's a real kind of festive volunteer atmosphere. Nobody is being a competitive pushy so-and-so. And you can go as fast or as slow as you want. What's even nicer is that on Sunday mornings, they now have the 2K junior park run. Cool. And my daughter nice. is now, and so you got like you get like fifty or sixty kids all running around the park <laughs> twice, and they get the same scans and all that kind of thing. And again, my daughter's really, really loving it. And you know, you, you, we, we don't worry that she gets a personal best or anything. She was pretending to be a cat while she was running the other day. <laughs> oh, and making, nice. you know, that's so sweet. And that's isn't that a great way of getting people enthused about, about movement and exercise rather than this really pushy, horrible, formalized kind of stuff? Yep, that's a perfect way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've already looked it up, actually. Uh, I think you might find in the US. Yeah, I've looked, it, I've looked it up. Hastings is where I plan to move to, because I do plan to move back to the UK as soon as I sold my house. And apparently they run along the seafront. So I bet that's fantastic. I'm really looking forward to doing that, yeah. Yeah. How's your keto life going, Daisy? My keto life? Yeah, well, I feel like my whole life is about keto, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Join the club. Yep. It's great. When I talk about keto to other people and and what it's done for me, the big things for me are the drastic improvement in my depression and migraines. I used to spend two weeks out of every month with a migraine. It was just awful. And now... It's amazing when I get one. It's such a it's such a rare thing. It, you know, it really hits me. And it's, and it's oh goodness, it's, what are these what are these things that I haven't had for ages? And and I I struggle to remember what it was like to have them so often. So you know, I mean, there are there are all the the normal things of losing weight and this that and the other. But they're the really big things for me because they had such a hugely negative impact on my life, and now they're 
pretty well gone. Yeah. I know a German scientist who uh, is one of the premier researchers into uh, migraines and and how ketogenic diet can or ketosis can uh, can alter that. And uh, we, I'd like to try and get her onto the Two Keto Dudes podcast at some point to talk about it. Mm. But she's also an amazing woman. So uh, so maybe we should get her onto your podcast. Is she an extraordinary woman? I'm going to get her first. Competition. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's healthy. Healthy competition. We share. We yeah. overlap sometimes. I interviewed Siobhan Huggins the other day. So oh, she's yeah. great. I just like to get a different side, so we can share. I love her. I love to hug her and scare her. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> a Huggins that doesn't like to hug. That doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> she's a little shy, but she's very smart. Oh, by the end of Kino Fest, she was letting me kiss her and everything, so she's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Intrigue on the internet. <laughs> She'll be mortified that we're speaking of her. <laughs> I know, but it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, she's great. She's great. All right, Kim, I think it's your turn. Tell us what you've been doing. You've, you've done quite a lot of stuff since we talked to you last. I've been a little busy. Um, I started with a friend of mine, uh, Harlan. We started a Facebook group called Completely Keto, and it's fairly large, uh, and we have a lot of people that we talk to every day about keto, how to be keto, what to do, what not to do. Uh, and yeah. then, um, so that's a good portion of my day because a, a, a Facebook group with more than 100,000 people in it is a, is a fair amount of effort. Uh, <laughs> I've seen that group and there's some great posts, but you're, you're kind of a taskmaster. I am. <laughs> yeah. Yes, she is. She absolutely is. Be no cheating. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I will say like the key to running a Facebook group is to not be subtle. Yeah. yeah. There's no time for that. Because the internet is really not the place for it. And yeah, yeah. and what I and what I say about cheating basically is if you decide to make a choice that is not keto, you're not excommunicated. There's it's it's your life, it's your body. You exactly. get to choose what to do with it. I don't necessarily want to hear about it here in the group where it will trigger yeah, yeah. a bunch of other people who are trying to have a space. And I know I'm going to like, people are like, save space, be a, you know, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. I'm like, hey, like, you can set up rules so that right. you have optimal success. And, and then I actually believe, like, there's a psychological piece with it. So, you know, I've been like a life coach for a long time. And one of the things that people do, often in relationships, I will, I will make mm -hmm. a link here. So... Uh, you know when people cheat on their partner in a relationship and they confess? Uh, sometimes they confess to heal the relationship, but mostly they confess because they stopped being able to handle the guilt that they were carrying with them, and they wanted to distribute right. some of that guilt to the other person, right? right? Yeah. Like, you want to, like, redistribute the load. And I don't actually think confession is healthy for that. I don't think so. A lot of people will eat a cookie, come to a group, and be like, "I ate a cookie," so that twenty thousand people will say, "You know, you're only human. It's totally okay." I think right. if you make a choice, you should have to like. I mean, I'm not like trying to. You must suffer the consequence. No, but like, <laughs> you know. But if you make a choice, you should then see that choice through. Yeah. And yeah, right. and so that you can then make a decision about whether that was a good choice or a bad choice. And hey, maybe it was a good choice. Like I don't, ha I'm not you. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. I have, I have my reasons for being a hard ass, basically. So you don't want a confessional. You don't want confessionals on no your no confessionals. Yeah, None. great. I love None. that. Not allowed. I am with you there. 
Yeah. yeah. We had somebody on the ketogenic forums the other day do something similar to this, saying, uh, it's Christmas time, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to cheat. And there's a few people who said, you know, don't talk, don't trigger me. And there are others who said, go for it, whatever. And, yeah. and, and somebody said, somebody just blurted out this comment, I hope you sh- yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's going to get flagged. And like 12 people jump on an all flag. And I said, right, yeah, yeah, we'll get rid of that. But as I said to this person, it's important to (laughs) accept the fact that you're going to make this choice and you you may well feel awful. Uh, You may well feel physically awful. And that's a useful Mm. thing to go through um, because you're going to learn whether you want to ever do that again. And I think allowing kids to touch hot surfaces is an appropriate thing. So I agree. Well, like Nick said, he's like, I'm in a part of the world where I'm only there occasionally. They have the best thing ever. I'm go- yeah. I, I, The repercussions yeah. for me are acceptable. I'm going to make that choice. Great. Like, mm. he is an adult. Like, yes. I am not the food police. Exactly. And I also know that I am going to have uh, acid reflux tomorrow. I know what's going to happen, <laughs> right. which means I don't right. want to be doing this every day. You know, three times a year is about enough. Uh, and and I can cope with that, and 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 it is it is a utilitarian thing. Is it worth the results? And you say, yeah, for me, I've just about waited. So when I go to where you go to Paris once a year, you go there and you go to the the Boulangerie. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and you say, if I'm going to have one of these things, it's got to be in Paris, and it's got to be the best thing ever. Yeah, right. right. What really annoys me sometimes is where you kind of just go to the supermarket and get some sort of uh, crappy frozen chocolate eclair. Yeah. <laughs> Come right. on, if you're going to blow <laughs> yeah. out, at least do it well. Get the yeah. best that there is and really focus exactly. on it. Exactly. Good plan. Throw some bacon on it, for Christ's sakes. And I do think <laughs> it is a bit of a slippery slope, eating <laughs> off keto. It is for me. There does seem to be some validity to the cheat day issues like you know dr jacob wilson did a study and he found like people that included a cheat day their body composition was worse so they lost the same amount of body weight as the full ketoers as the the keto during the week cheating on the weekend Mm. people so everybody lost similar amounts of weight but when they did their body comp they found that fully keto people lost almost all fat and um, the cheaty people mm. lost both fat mm. and lean mass. Mm. Messed up the process, yep. Yeah, exactly. So so it is a choice. I agree with you. And there's this real bro science with <laughs> carb backloading oh. and carb night and all that. Yeah. Just be honest. Come on, you just want to eat donuts yeah. every weekend. Stop trying to turn it into pretend it's all sciencey. Right. Yeah, stop trying to make me eat a donut to validate your decisions. Right. Yeah. That's a good right. one. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah. cheat. Sorry. Exactly. So, yeah, so mostly I've been being a hard ass on uh, on my Facebook group, and then I'm a nice person when uh, I'm a coach. So I, you know, I, I vacillate. So how many people have you coached? And I'm curious about your audience, your your customers. Oh, I have to add them up. Let's see. Uh, one, two... Roughly. Uh, about 200. Okay. So out of those 200, have you ever been stumped, stymied? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I stymie myself, right? <laughs> like, um, mm-hmm. but I've ne- it's never been permanent. Yeah. There have been people uh, where, um, you know, they're not dropping weight. They're not, they're not doing this. There's not happening. And then, you know, like... The advice you give to the masses work for 80% of the time, 90% of right. whatever. Right. But then, you know, 
not every person hits this, but a lot of people will eventually get to a point where their body, I, I, my belief is they've reached a point at which they're no longer ill. Like yes. yeah. they're, they've, they've gotten to a place where their insulin low, you know, is, is in a, in a range where they're not so sick. They're fit for a living. And like, you know, honestly, from an evolutionary perspective, having a little extra padding is something your body probably wants. Yeah, mm. your body certainly mm. doesn't want to be 8% uh, body no. fat. Right, exactly. And so now you have to at some point decide if you're going to make a, a change. Now, some people are naturally very lean, and they never have to make this decision. Yeah, we hate them. I understand. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Nick. <laughs> Hi. Totally kidding. So some people, you just cure the insulin issues and, and, get the, and they just drop all the way down until they're like, I can't stop losing weight. And you're like, oh. That's a problem, um, you know, and so but then there are a good portion of the population who is overweight where they actually cure the insulin problems. They're no longer pre-diabetic or diabetic. They're like in a healthy body. Their blood work looks great, but they are a little fluffier than they want to. And yeah. it's more of an aesthetic issue at this point. And and you exactly. have to then say, OK, exactly. I think my body is healthy now. I'm, mm -hmm. It's an aesthetic thing. Do, do I want to now take effort to change my aesthetics that might actually right. be less healthy from right. other mm. points of view. And I don't have a judgment about that choice. Um, and if somebody wants to make changes that push their body composition past what their body is, they're like, you know, humming along, happy, fertile, yeah. ready for Finny the white. apocalypse kind of body. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm like, I am built for the zombie apocalypse. I mean, I'm ready. <laughs> Me too. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm built for the snow apocalypse, exactly. which is coming. Kim, I think you're right. At some point when you stop being ill and then you basically, be, you then right. have a choice right. of whether you right. want to become your own artwork, basically. And where, and effectively, it's like you, you, it's it's like you're working on this piece of furniture, and you want to just take that little edge off, and you want to make it a really beautiful piece of furniture. You're right; right. it's a complete. It's it's an artistic endeavor at that point, really. And as you say, at that point, you decide. Well, right. maybe some people they want their life to be about that, even if they'll sure. be living a few years shorter life. They want to do that. Look at bodybuilders, for right. example, are yeah. very much in that realm as well. At the other extreme, you know, they will do things that are actually quite damaging to give them the physique they want. It's not a physique that they would have ever really had in uh, Paleolithic days to that degree. Right. But totally. they, they like it. It's, it's an artwork and they decide it. They make that choice. Kim, what you're talking about is exactly where I'm at. I've still got some extra weight on, but I am so incredibly healthy. All my blood work is so fantastic. And I got to that point. It was like, well, do I want to change some things some more to lose a little more and get down a few more sizes? I'm so comfortable now and feel pretty good with where I'm at. So I don't want to do any more work now. i got enough else going on. And I think this is where a lot of fighting happens within oh, the yeah. keto sphere. Mm. Because some we all have different assumptions. And some people assume that looking like a cover model on Ms. Fitness is is, healthy. No, must be no. everyone's ultimate goal. And, right. you know, I mean, I, I'm more, I, I actually did undergo this year a bit of experimentation with the whole, like, how much fat, how much protein. I did that whole thing. I, mm. I followed some other opinions that weren't my opinion, but I was like, you know what? If I say I don't want to do it, I should probably try it. Yeah. And so I tried it and I felt like yeah. an insane person. Like yeah. I dropped the fat, I raised you protein. Comfortable. Now, I like the protein. I'm a fan of meat. So I like the protein being higher, but like I started feeling a little bit like a rat in a maze. And 
Yeah. And I was like, oh, this isn't worth it. It's not worth it to me. Exactly. Now, do, I, do uh, I still have goals that I'm trying to work towards? Yes. Like, I'm, I'm addressing different things. Like, life is long, and there is time. Um, now, speaking of bodybuilding, about yeah. 20 minutes ago, Brenda stretched her arms in back of her oh, head no. on the video <laughs> camera. And I was like, oh, my Dude. God, don't kill me, woman. Guns. <laughs> Yeah, she's got the gun guns. Shy. <laughs> show us that. Show us those again, Brenda. Come on, do that. Yeah, and and that and that. I don't know. You it, you know, women have Come a on. lot of fat under their skin, so you can't really see them. But I'm telling you, they're. Oh pre- my god! Oh, no. no, you got you got some muscle. I curl eighty pounds now. You can see what's going on. Curl eighty pounds. You leg lift eight hundred pounds. <laughs> leg lift eight wow. hundred was the most I ever did. Yeah. If when you make a, a muscle, your arm curves upwards. Incredible. That's yes, it a does. sign of some. <laughs> When it curves downwards, it's not. I can feel it in there. There's still some fat under the skin. I'm okay with that. I'm 54. Yeah. Well, Brenda, it's your turn now. So you have probably the most remarkable story of all of us about what's happened to you in the last few months. Uh, I don't know. Every, all these people have such great stuff. I, you know, I'm kind of envious of some of it. But um, I don't know. Where do I even start? Uh, well, let's talk about Kevin. I fell in love this summer. Yeah, you yeah. did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> and... Um, after I'd known him for a few days, I found out uh, he was on dialysis because of complications of type 2. I didn't know that when I first met him. And probably about four or five days in, and I've told him this, um, I got a hold of some friends, and Richard was one of them. And I said, um, I'm going to have to make a decision here because this is it's pretty serious to you know get involved in serious health issues going on. And I, that's a lot to deal with. And then I thought it was meant to be, and I love him, and I, I can handle it. I'm a strong person, you know, and I'm not sorry I decided to, uh, to, to let myself um, become very fond and fall in love with this man. Mm. But he was watching what I was doing, you know. We were dating, and he was watching what I was doing, and he started to listen to my story and read my story on Diet Doctor and listen to my podcast. And, and without telling me, he started eating low-carb. And started asking me questions. That's when I kind of realized that he's wanting to do this. Um, and he's, he's had some fantastic things happen. And hopefully you'll have him on the show again. He can tell you about all his yeah, fantastic yeah. things. That He'd love to do that himself. But um, he would be here right now, but he's at dialysis. Um, yeah, no. uh, so yeah. uh, he, he definitely would have stopped in and said hi to you guys. But So that yeah, that's a pretty incredible thing that's happened um, this year is meeting him. And you cooking with him and yeah. the stuff that you're eating is amazing. And you've got his blood sugar down. I'm luring him to the good side, see. How is his blood sugar? And how was it? Um, it, it it's, it's trending down. How was it? Mm. Over 300s, even on insulin. Now Jeez, it's uh, yeah. closer to... Um, for a long time, it was around 160. Now it's around 130s. Um, he has a lot of readings around 100 or under. Nice. Wow. His last A1C, his worst A1C was 12, and his last one was 6.4. So after <sighs> just, and that was after just 11 weeks. So, I mean, he's improving. Um, he's reversing his diabetes. Yeah. He's Native American, right? Yeah, yeah. He's Ojibwe. His folk are very susceptible to diabetes. Much more so. And his daughter, Cara, she's just recently had a diagnosis, right? Oh, his daughter, Kara, um, I believe her diagnosis has been a while, actually, okay. because she's she's on insulin now. But she is ah. interested in doing this, and she is okay mm. with us mentioning her on podcasts. Good. Okay. Yeah, she's she's 28 years old. He also wow. was diagnosed and on insulin immediately at age 28. He uh, went into the hospital, and I believe blood sugars were 500. So, um, yeah. obviously, in that family, they get diabetes very much younger. I, I was yeah. probably... 
uh, late 30s, early 40s. Yeah, I was so, 38. Yeah. Yeah. So it happens at a younger age. So unfortunately, that means that he's been dealing with this longer, has been using insulin longer, and his kidneys had much more time to be damaged. Um, right. I went with him to dialysis yesterday, and I got to tell you, if you have type 2 diabetes, you better do everything you can to pay attention to this ketogenic thing and fasting and prevent that from happening to you. I, yeah, you don't want that. You don't, you don't want to end up that way. Um, so anyway, uh, Kevin and I are very happy, and um, he's feeling good. And I'm so very grateful every day that I ever met him. Um, so that's a huge thing yeah. this year. The other huge thing is uh, the intensive dietary management program. Uh, that's Jason Fung's practice. Dr. F- Jason Fung and, and Megan Ramos hired me to do consultation with their um, clinic uh, clients, and I'm still training for that, mm-hmm. but I'll nice. be doing that soon. Um, I'll also be running a, a fasting group for them. Um, speaking of a fasting group, we have uh, on the ketogenic forums, We the Zorn Fast group is... Is up and running right now. Yeah, you're going to be so good at that. They, you know what? Sometimes they don't have time to go in there. They're as much, and they're <laughs> supporting each other. Yeah. Mm. There's 40, I think I counted 50 people in there once, and they're really That's good great. at supporting each other. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they're nearing the finish line. A lot of them do do it with me in the same hours I do, and I'm stopping at four today. But they're allowed mm. to, allowed. We don't have rules yeah. in there. They start and stop when they want. But yeah, we're just finishing up yeah. a big fast right before Christmas right now. It's really great when people do it together because there's nothing like, you know, being say, oh, I'm hungry, and if somebody says, You can do it, you know, take some salt or whatever. Yeah. Right, exactly. Getting that encouragement. So, and it works. Yeah. I just want to say, just uh, to interrupt, I apologize, but the last uh, Obesity Code podcast about the ki- the I forgot the man's name John Collier such- oh John Collier uh, yeah. John, yeah. that was a heartbreaker oh, and if fuck. anybody needs to tell anybody why they need to turn their diabetes around that episode is a must listen yeah. exactly so during the recording of that both Carl and John broke down during the recording I, Carl probably won't mind me mentioning this and Megan also broke down doing doing her recording. All of us. I mean, somebody was cutting onions in the room when we were putting yeah. together that podcast. Yeah. It stands on its own as one of the best things that Carl and I have done. Yep. Uh, and I guess we're segueing into me talking about my year, but because the Obesity Code podcast has been the majority of our last two months worth of work, really. Yeah, it really and has. if it wasn't for people like Daisy taking the ball and running with their own podcasts, we wouldn't have been able to spend so much time on the Obesity Code podcast. Uh, and also, our, we've had people lining up to be guests for Two Keto Dudes, and so we've not had to chase for that in, as much anymore, mm. which has meant we've been able to do uh, do the Obesity Code podcast because that's a very intensive, that's sort of, uh, takes basically th- three days of Carl's time and my time to put that whole thing together. Um, yeah. And I guess Jason and Megan, they put a lot of work in and a lot of the content gets cut. Uh, because yeah. we're trying to edit the show to be about an hour long. And we end up with uh, – Jason will go on for an hour about the idea of right. type 2 diabetes being reversible, but the damage from diabetes not being reversible if you don't 
captured early enough. And one of the examples is kidney disease, and he's a nephrologist. Yeah. The whole reason he got into this was because he was tired of seeing people that he couldn't help. Mm. You know, because yeah. uh, once you get past that sort of macro albuminuria, uh, which yeah. is mm. basically when your kidneys are unable to hold on to protein, yeah. mm. once you get past that, you're not going to reverse that. And John Collier reversed his diabetes after 25 years. So he was diagnosed in 89 and reversed his diabetes just like three years ago. So you can, you can reverse your diabetes at right. any point. Right, Kevin is reversing his in just a few months, yeah. Right. But you can't reverse the damage that's done by it. It's kind of like when you don't put oil in your car, you do permanent damage to your engine, and once the permanent damage is done, you can put all the oil in you want, and it's not going to bring your car back. This is why I, I was very angry when I saw uh, on Twitter recently another registered dietitian saying that really diabetics needed to be worried about being on a low-carbo-ketogenic diet because there are questions to be asked about its effect on the kidneys. Well, there are no questions about the effect of diabetes <laughs> on the kidneys. Uh, <laughs> uh, Brenda, you mentioned that, uh, and I heard the podcast where you're on with Kevin, and you mentioned that he's a Native American. I just thought I'd mention my, my brother, who is a professor at University of Minnesota in Duluth, uh, a history prof. He and his wife are writing a book called Decolonizing the Diet, um, basically about um, Native Americans and... Okay. Basically, as he says, he challenges the common claim that Native American communities were decimated in 1492 because of the disease that was brought and all that kind of thing. Because he makes the point that, you know, human populations, you look at the Black Death in Europe, yeah. human populations are able to recover from mass epidemics within a century pretty much all the time. Yep. So he said that, that wasn't good enough as an explanation of what the hell went wrong. And uh, he says what actually happened was that when people came and screwed their ability to hunt, gather and farm nutritionally dense plants and animals. And eat the food that worked for them and their body and their genetics. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that was the genocide. And so uh, his book's coming out I think, next year in March. You need to absolutely. remind me and I'll get him to send you a copy because it sounds oh, like... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're nearby where he is. We could probably go meet him and everything. Yeah. yeah. It could be quite useful. <laughs> we're getting pretty involved in this. I think it's worthwhile because, as you've said, Richard, as well, these communities across the world have basically had um, genocidal crimes committed against them. It's still happening. And it's happening now. It's not something in the past. These people are being told to eat like this bike. And, it, and it's, if you yeah. focus on it for just a moment, you start getting very angry and you have to then focus that anger in some way useful. So we have the same problem in Australia with the uh, Australian Aboriginals. And, and you often see this trope amongst people like dietitians uh, complaining about the quote-unquote paleolithic diet, complaining that, well, how would we know what the paleolithic man ate, you know, there's none around to talk to. Well, in fact, the last Australian tribe that walked out of the desert, uh, walked out of the paleolithic and into the modern era, did so in 1986. Yep. So we actually have mm. people in, within recent record, we can say, um, what did you eat? You know, and so we can actually find these things out. And, and, and there was a researcher, of course, the Australian Aboriginals are, are, are blighted with, diabetes, with type 2 diabetes. This is something that, like the American Indians, progresses very quickly once it starts. It, they go very quickly. And part of this has to do with the fact that um, they're extremely insulin resistant. And if you look at uh, their blood works uh, 
back in sort of the 1970s, 1980s, before there was a lot of obesity uh, among the in general population, if you look at their blood work, their HOMA IR scores that indicate what their insulin resistance shows, they, their glucose is fine, their insulin is blown out. So their, right. their systems are primed to put on fat whenever they come into contact with carbohydrates. And uh, what we did with them in, in Australia, and, and this is s- similar to, to every hunter-gatherer culture around the world, in Australia what we did was we tried to supplement their diet by giving them free rations of white sugar, white flour, and tea and tobacco. And, and they, they would get a packet of that. The four food groups. The four food groups. <laughs> the government would give a packet of that to every Australian. This was the ration sort of around the... I think it probably came in around about the Great Depression era, but this was sort of like the beginning of the 20th century. Basically supplementing everybody's diet to give them calories by giving them calories from highly processed sugar and flour. And, of course, with the Aboriginal populations, this moved very quickly Made them to... Very sick. to, to, mm. to uh, a, 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 as Nick says, a genocidal... Uh, disease. So it's horrible. Kevin is on a transplant list and has been for about three and a half years. He's been on dialysis that long. Um, but why reverses diabetes now that um, he, you know, he's waiting for a kidney? Because, mm. wow, check that out. 4.0 ketones. Just, I just checked my ketones. <laughs> wow, look at look you. At on the finish line. Um, Brenda wins. But yeah, I win again. Um, <laughs> but there are other, you know, if he reverses his diabetes, he's going to avoid um, the other, like type 3 diabetes. I mean, he's going to avoid the other yeah. things that high, you know, insu- insulin and, uh, will do. And that that is um, uh, heart disease and dementia and all those other things that we, right, amputation, all the things that we know um, that it does. He, he can be healthy in those ways, um, uh, even though his kidneys are damaged now. Um, so yeah. anyway, I just wanted to put that in there because there are a lot of things that it's eating keto now for him are going to help. Plus, it's giving him it's giving him a lot of energy. He's so lucky to have you. And seriously, I mean, if I could li- if I could live with you and have you cook yeah, for me every day, I, I would. <laughs> seriously, well, you I, also, we'd all be lucky. You're also <laughs> increasing his likelihood of being able to get a transplant by making him a healthier candidate. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Richard, there was one thing that you said, um, and it's been something I've been thinking about recently, and I've been actually speaking to Amber O'Hearn about it and various other people as well. And you mentioned that the Australian Aboriginals are naturally very insulin resistant. Right. And I'm thinking about that phrase, and it's a bit like the pink shaming thing we were talking about earlier on. It makes them seem like we are we are normal with our insulin sensitivity and they are somehow pathological yeah, with yeah. their insulin resistance that's an interesting comment yeah i agree yeah i would prefer to say that their bodies are evolutionarily appropriately apportioning the insulin that they use to push the glucose into the cells that actually need it so if we turn it around we can say that those carb eaters that those carb eaters who eat with carb are in emergency glucose yeah. disposal mode <laughs> rather than saying that they are insulin sensitive yeah. it sounds less cool when you say that don't you yeah. so if you say yeah you're spending most of your life in emergency <laughs> glucose disposal mode and aren't you lucky no. you have that mode bearing in mind what you're shoving down your gullet 
unlike what you're supposed to be uh, as, as an ice age fatty brained uh, species. Absolutely. So yeah. I think sometimes, you know, because it's perfectly appropriate. Yes. Can you imagine if the Aboriginal mussels and lipocytes were sponges for glucose, as soon as the liver does some gluconeogenesis, it would be sucked right. up. No, none of the glucose would make it to the brain or the blood cells uh, and they go into a coma. So thank heavens that they are acting appropriately for our species. It's people who have this weird constantly on glucose dis mm. emergency disposal mode yeah. are the weirdos and let, let's turn it around to that rather than saying oh yeah oh dear you're not insulin resistant <laughs> that's a pity we better try and feed you yeah. lots of potatoes <laughs> so that you become insulin resistant that's actually a very good way of looking at it well we're running out of time here guys and I'd like to just have everybody uh, give, give our sign off and I'll start by saying uh, it's been a crazy amazing heck of a year for me uh, Weight-wise, nothing's really changed in a year, but I'm doing some experimentation to try to figure that out. And I'll tell you more about that in the new year. But uh, I'm just very, very grateful to have met all of you and all of the listeners that I've met, all the people I met at Keto Fest, all the great people that I've gotten, the, that Richard and I have gotten the, the chance to talk to in the last couple of years. It's just been fantastic. And I hope you all have a very happy holiday and a happy new year. And thank you. Thank you. I have a correction because I can't do math. I've coached 700 people this year. I just, Whoa. I just added it. That's a bit of a difference. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, people. I didn't forget about you individually. I simply can't add. I've coached four privately, so I guess you win. But I'm not officially coaching yet. It's not a competition, <laughs> Brenda. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Kim, do you want to say a happy new year to the to the peeps? I will. I will. I want to say a very happy new year to everyone. I am over the moon thrilled that this community exists. I really have to attribute a lot of my success to the people on this call and some other people not on this call, but the two keto dudes community is they're my heart. They are lovely people. And, um, you know, when you enter this alternative universe of keto, it's really important to have support and I can't thank these people enough for being the support I needed uh, on my journey um, and the support they continue to offer. I totally agree with you, Kim. These guys have got more integrity than most anyone I've met. You guys are awesome. Oh, you guys. <laughs> you're awesome too, Brenda and Kim and Daisy and Nick. You're all awesome. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. Happy new year. Enjoy Yorkshire puddings. <laughs> <laughs> Daisy, any last words? Uh, well, I had something I meant to tell you earlier, actually. It's a bit of a funny. It's an auto carrot funny <laughs> that was that was in my <laughs> Facebook group. Sexy lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> auto carrot is what we call autocorrect because f autocorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Someone called Lish, Lish Cook and her sister were, were sending texts backwards and forwards. And this is what Lish Cook sent to her sister. Mixed up some cream cheese with last of my cheddar and some green chilies. Stuffed my panties with it. <laughs> it was good. Not panties. Holy shit. Patties. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Stuffed my panties. I love uh, okay. carrot. <laughs> you really have to watch the green chilies in the pan. Yeah. That would be <laughs> Too hot. Too hot. <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. Happy, Happy New, Year. New Year. Merry Christmas. All right. We'll see you in 2018. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.